I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. It's Martin Shipton, and today I'm with Peter Black, who is the former Liberal Democrat Assembly Member for South Wales West, which he represented from 1999 until 2016. He's still a councillor in Swansea. He's the Deputy Mayor at the moment. Uh, Peter, first of all, how did you end up in Swansea? Went to university in 1978. I sort of... Thought this is nice, a campus on, on the beach, you know, and uh, applied to go there, got accepted, and uh, went down to Swansea and uh, got involved in politics in the student union when I was down there. Because originally you're from the Wirral. That's right, uh, Bebbington originally on the Wirral, yes, that's right. Sure. At one stage I had Geoffrey Howe as my MP, there, but uh, went to Wirral Grammar School, same school as Harold Wilson and, uh, and Ted Rollins. When I did my A-levels, I thought, I'm, I'm going to university. You know, in those days, when you had a bit more money and you got grants, the idea was to get as far away from your parents as possible. So 175 miles seemed about right. And you were studying English and history. That's right, yeah. That's it. Did you get involved in politics at university, or were you already involved in it as in school? I was involved at school. I mean, I was actually canvassing at the age of 14 in the, 19, in the second 1974 general election. My... my English teacher was, uh, two of my English teachers were active Liberals at the time, so I got involved with that. Um, I sort of got involved with the Young Liberals during the, the three-day week and did a bit of canvassing. Sort of dropped out a bit till I went to university and then got back involved um, in student politics and rejoined the part, well, joined the party properly in about 1980. Why the Liberals? Were you from a Liberal family? No, absolutely not. My father used to both, he voted for every winning government since 1959. Um, my mother, I think, is you know quite Liberal. She tends to vote Liberal, certainly since I got involved. But my family weren't really political at all. It's just, um, it was just instinctive, really, instinctive Liberalism. I felt I, that, I, that I belonged there. I, I felt that, um, that the principles they stood for, individual liberty, community, um, just resonated with me naturally. And, of course, in the middle of the three-day week, when you have Labour and the Tories kicking and get all seven bells out of each other. It just seemed a natural thing to do to go down the middle. And, and I've always been a bit of an outsider. I always felt like I'm, I'm not going to get involved this time. I'm going to do something different. And so I joined the Liberals. When did you start getting involved in elected politics? When I was at Swansea, um, I was involved in local elections, actually during my degree. I spent most of my degree, first of all, campaigning for, um, for the sabbatical elections with a friend of mine, and then after that, um, getting involved in local elections in Swansea. So shortly after I graduated, I, I was uh, an agent in a ward which we nearly took off the Tories at the height of the Falkland War by about 170 votes, which is quite a good one at the time. So I sort of got involved then. At that time, was there much liberal activity going on in Swansea? It's very, very small. Um, in fact, if you remember, 1979 in Swansea, the Tories just failed to take Swansea West by about 400 votes. And the, the liberal candidate was, was subjected to abuse by the Tories for the whole of that council. He'd stood and stopped us winning the seats, which um, some of the other liberals felt was quite a good thing. But no, there wasn't a great deal going on. And in fact, we hadn't had a, a councillor in Swansea, I think, since 1974. And I was most probably the first Liberal councillor in Swansea East, most probably since the war. It was very much uh, sort of breaking into new territory. How did you go about winning the seat? Um, I took a look around at what, what communities you know, looked winnable. In fact, my ward and the Liberals had come very close in the 60s to winning that ward. It was a nice terraced area, which was fairly flat. So um, when I decided, after, after I'd been the agent in this other ward, I... I 
I was working at sort of, um, I think at that time for the county council, but I went on to work for the land registry. I took a look at the seat and thought, I'm going to move there and I'm going to have a go at winning it. So I, I moved to the, the Mantleton area at Swansea and started doing what was classic uh, liberal part and pavement politics there, uh, putting out a regular leaflet, helping people with their problems. The first election I stood in, 83, I think we got just in the mid 30% and won one of the polling districts. And from then on, it was 84, I won by 1,100 votes. So we just kept working it and working it. Was it a case of the other parties having neglected people, do you think? I think Labour took it for granted. The Tories never stood there. Um, and I think Labour were taking it a bit for granted. They'd been in, in, they held the war for decades. Um, I think that, that they weren't expecting this young, brash newcomer to come along. The age of 24 when I got elected, um, I had a, quite a lot of sort of young people around with me. And uh, the first thing when we walked into the camp, they just sort of their mouths were open. My God, look how young they are! How are we going to combat this? You know, so most of them didn't live in the ward, but you know, we brought them in from the students' um, body and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, they were a bit complacent. Yeah. So when you got on the council, you were the only liberal. That's there. right. Yeah. So what was your aim at that time? Well, the first thing that happened was I went to sign on and the guy in charge of electoral registration, he took me into the council chamber and he said, Labour sit here, the Tories sit there, the independents there, you want to sit there. And I said, no, I'm going to sit over there between Labour and the Tories on my own because I'm going to save all those seats for the rest of my group. <laughs> so I sort of set my mark right down straight away that I was going to be some you know, difference, not just going to be part of an independent group, I was going to be a Liberal councillor. Um, I had a, some people who helped me with a bit of research. We made a big impact on a, on a big economic issue at the time and started, which got a lot of press coverage in, in the Evening Post. Um, Paul Chambert, who was the journalist, and he did, I think we had five or six pages in the Evening Post and uh, made a big impact. So I think people were a bit unsettled by, by, by my sort of the way, I, the impact I had straight away. We just worked to get more Liberals elected with me. Won, uh, the next, I think the next set of elections were the county council elections. We won five seats there because by that time the alliance had come along and we were moving up in the polls. And then the next set of city council elections, which I think were 86, uh, we, we got a group of about five or seven and then kept growing until, of course, back in, in 2004, we, we ran the council in conjunction with the independents and the Tories with over 20 Liberal Democrat councillors. Going back to the uh, 80s, I think you were involved, weren't you, in talks with the SDP about the merger. What was that like at the time? I think I was involved in doing everything I could to, to sabotage those talks at the time. But, yeah, it, it was difficult because, of course, the SDP, the new boys in the block, they wanted to have the seats they wanted. It's not that we had a huge number of winnable seats in Wales at that time anyway. So, you know, we, we were doing our best to be defiant and, and stand out from that. And, in fact, one of the reasons I moved to Swansea East in my ward was because the SDP were allocated Swansea West. So I said, right, I'm going to move to Swansea East and I'm going to build up the thing there. But it was interesting because I, the 83 election, um, they had um, Peter St. Leberry stood in Swansea West for the SDP. And I remember going into the, the headquarters. I'd never seen so many people, so much money involved in the campaign and dozens of people stuffing envelopes. Because up until then, we'd really struggled to get free post leaflets out to be able to hold our deposit, which at that stage I think was still at 12.5%. And so, you know, it was quite an, quite an impression that, that the SDP were bringing resources, they were bringing new people who were enthusiastic to the, to the party. And, and in that sense, it, it was quite useful and a good lesson for us as to how to organise and do things. So then we get eventually towards 
the end of the 90s, by which time you're presumably well ensconced as a, as a councillor. Yeah. And the referendum takes place in 1997. It, it narrowly passes for an assembly to be established. And then you got selected as a, as a candidate. What were your thoughts at that time? I mean, had you previously ever thought that you would become a full-time paid politician? No, I hadn't. I mean, I was working for the land registry, which so technically I was barred from standing for national election. So I hadn't, at first I didn't really give it much thought, should I stand? But one of my friends pushed me into it. He said, look, you know, you've got to take a gamble. So I, I thought, right, I will go for it. And if I get selected, I will resign from my job and hope I get elected. And there was always a good chance I would get elected. I hadn't quite counted for the Plycon resurge at the time. Which, you know, it was quite close at the time to get that fourth seat. Um, so, as you say, I was well ensconced. I was up against some tough opposition, actually, because uh, Rob Humphreys, who's, who was a very strong candidate, was also fighting us as well. He, was, he fought the bridge end seat in that, in that selection. The fact I'd been a councillor for so long, the fact that most of the members were in the Swansea area helped a great deal in terms of, of my, my getting selected. But we, we, I worked for it. You know, I went round. Um, I learned a lot from the way Kirsty Williams had already been selected for Brecon and Radnor. You know, she literally called on virtually every single member in every single form around powers to, to win that seat, beating Roger Williams, who subsequently became the MP, of course. You know, I, I put my, my back into it. And then having been selected, we then were facing, so how are we going to pay for this election? Because we never had to put serious money into fighting an election before. We scraped together what we could to fight an election. And in a sense, if it relied on what we could afford to pay for, we wouldn't have won. But the national swing was with us just about, and we just won it, um, got the 6 a.m.s um, in that election. That's right. And then yeah. the start of the Assembly didn't get off to a, a, a very great, very great impetus, did it? And so within less than a year, within about nine months, Alan mm. Michael had gone. Yeah. And then, I think, shortly after Roderick Morgan took over, there were feelers put out, weren't there? And there were discussions that took place over quite a number of months before, I think it was probably the September, when a coalition was formed between Labour and Liberal right, Democrats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was involved in those negotiations. But before that happened, of course, I mean, I, I did a Radio Wales programme on the, the evening of Ma- Alan Michael resigned. And one of the audience members said, is this the end of devolution? I said, well, actually, Alan Michael's resignation is actually the saviour of devolution, which is, as it turned out, because he was very much a sort of Westminster man trying to run things if he's still Secretary of State for Wales. Um, but Roger Morgan was a breath of fresh air. In fact, just before Alan Michael resigned, we had a group meeting. But our staff were running up and down to Alan Michael's office and the office were coming down, would you come into a coalition with us? And of course, Alan Michael turned us down point blank back in after the Assembly election and the group was absolutely united. There's no way we're going to step in now and rescue you at this stage because the future devolution is too important. But then... Um, feelers were put out over the summer period. I think Mike Jen was in conversation with Roger Morgan well before he told the group about it. But we had a group away day, and Mike told the group, and you know it wasn't unanimous in the group to go into a coalition. I think it was something like three two with one abstention in terms of should we go in there. Um, Charles Kennedy was on the line to us, t- you know, just basically saying to us, "Well, it's your decision, but if there's anything I can do to help you, you know, you have to make the decision yourselves." And you know, we decided we were going to go for this, but I was involved in, in the negotiations as well. I remember uh, one time, Mike Chairman and I went to Edwina Hart's office in, in uh, Gorsinan. 
and um, after we were having the discussion about the budget and how, what we could afford to pay for, suddenly they realised that the Gower ladies group section were meeting downstairs and we had to sneak out down to the office and no one actually knew what was going on there. Mike Joan did contrive to fall down the stairs in trying to do that. But yeah, it was, it was quite an interesting time. And, and, you know, again, we had a lot of help from the Federal Party in, in negotiating that settlement. Uh, David Laws, who then became MP for Yeovil, came down and provided some research backup for us as part of doing that. But at the end of the day, it was it was our decision. It was a Welsh um, thing, and we got lots of stuff into that coalition agreement. And of course, you became a deputy minister, didn't you? I did. Yeah, deputy minister for local government. Yes, that's right. Well, how did you find that? Very difficult. Um, deputy ministers at the time had no decision-making powers, no um, administrative backup, no secretary. If I went and substituted for the minister, I did a couple of times, and there was no ministerial car because they had far fewer ministerial cars in those days, I had to claim back mileage from the, the government, and it was it was really, really difficult. But, you know, to be fair, Edwina Hart gave me stuff to do. I sort of ran a commission on homelessness. I did a commission on LGBT housing as well and, and, others, and some other stuff. And uh, I mostly focused on housing stuff, which was my speciality and what I knew most about. And it was quite interesting times. I learned a lot about governance as well. I was, you know, sitting in on meetings with Edwin and she put me into her meetings with her heads, heads, heads of section, learned a lot about her style and about how things ran from her point of view which is quite useful and certainly served me well in terms of understanding both the, the role of special advisors and things and served me great, served us very well indeed when we had the coalition at Westminster because you started to understand well what the pressures were on the, on the ministers there even though it was completely different and, and the role of SPADs particularly in terms of making things happen in, in government. But of course 2003 came along, yeah. there was another election mm. and Labour won 30 seats that That's election. Right, yeah. So they didn't need a coalition partner, they yeah. thought. Was there any question at all of continuing with a coalition? No, I don't think so. No. I mean, yeah. you know, Roger never got that through his group. I mean, he was under pressure anyway because whereas the Liberal Democrats held a special conference to ratify us, Roger just basically rode roughshod over his party and there were a lot of unhappiness in Labour about that. Um, of course, they've learnt that lesson since. We always try to make sure the members have a say. And even when Nick Clegg went into, into coalition with Cameron, there was this triple lock there, which meant that if the parliamentary party and the federal executive didn't agree, he'd have to have a conference, which he did anyway, and a unanimous vote there. So Labour would never have let Roger Morgan do another coalition when they had effectively a majority. What was it like for you sort of stepping down from being, albeit a minor uh, mm-hmm. minister, into being back into opposition. I mean, I suppose opposition, in a sense, at that time, was your natural habitat. Yeah, it was a bit of a relief, actually, because, you know, if, if I was going to be a minister, I, I wanted to feel I was going to make decisions. So, you know, you, you lose the, the way you can actually oppose things. You can't oppose things. You've got this collective responsibility. But you couldn't change anything either. So it was, it was a sort of middle ground in the worst of both worlds. So, in a sense, it was a relief to be able to get back to opposition, where I could still influence things through budget discussions and the fact that Labour still needed to get votes to get through. You could still influence things through that way. It was quite a relief. But uh, once then, I did go out on the limb and criticise the decision in my region I was got a phone call from Rodri Morgan who was trying to tell me you've got to stay in the line I said well actually Rodri your own guidelines say I don't have collective responsibility on this particular issue you know he didn't apply it to his own members on that regard and then of course in 2007 in a sense that was a very important year for the assembly yeah. wasn't it, in electoral terms Absolutely, yeah. because Labour lost a few seats mm-hmm. and there was for a time the real possibility of there being 
a sort of non-Labour coalition, which was described at the time as a rainbow coalition, perhaps mm. rather inappropriately, given that it included the Conservatives as well. So you had Conservatives, Plaid Cymru and, uh, and the Lib Dems yeah. discussing these mm. matters and coming up with, uh, with a programme for government. And then it was all sort of killed at the last minute. What was your perspective at that time? Well, I, I was with Kirsty. I was one. I was perceived as people who sabotaged that coalition. You know, in a sense, there was a lot of unease in the party about going into coalition with anybody. In my own region, they didn't want to go in with, with Labour. They, did, they were a bit more sort of lukewarm about the Tories, but they're better with the Tories than Labour. In Midwest, there was very strong opposition to going with, with the Tories in the coalition. And I think there was strong opposition in Plaid as well. But, of course, Plaid were prepared to go along with this. The group itself, there was no majority in the group for this at all. I think Mike just about got it through the group by with Eleanor Burnham's support at the time. But, you know, at the end of the day, that executive meeting, which actually killed it off, although we opposed it, Mike Gemma went into that executive meeting with a clear majority in favour of the coalition and managed to lose that majority during the meeting. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, basically there, there were big question marks about the deliverability of what he'd agreed. There was unease about the fact that Nick Bourne was going to be Deputy First Minister, Mike was going to be another minister, except obviously... And the whole executive just felt, well, you, know, we, you haven't really sold this to us. Um, in any case, there was a special conference. But by that time, I think Plaid had decided, well, Labour is still interested in talking to us. So they were in a very, very strong position. They could have us or they could have Labour. They worked with both of us on, on things and then just chose the deal which they felt was best for them. In a sense, I mean, I don't think that was the best decision for Plaid. I mean, if you think about it, Yain Wynne Jones could have been First Minister. And I think it was a lack of confidence on their part that he chose to, to take the secondary role. Or be, although, obviously, his group were more comfortable in that position, it's, it, it did come across a lack of confidence on their part. And, of course, they didn't benefit from that coalition any more than we benefited from our coalition in 2000 to 2003. It, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the constant dilemma, isn't it, for parties in Wales uh, about whether to go into coalition yeah. with the Conservatives because they have been for many years quite a toxic brand I remember discussing this actually with Canog Davis and what he was saying was that this is ridiculous really because what you should look at is what the programme for government is and just look yeah. from there but but nevertheless it's undoubtedly the case that in seats like uh, Llanetli for example which was represented at the time by Helen Mary Jones yeah. who was a vociferous opponent uh, of going into coalition with uh, with the Conservatives, uh, it's difficult to imagine that Plaid wouldn't have uh, lost out electorally there uh, the next time round. Well, they lost out electorally anyway because, of course, the Labour were arguing that, look, they're willing to talk to the Tories. So because Plaid wouldn't rule out going out to the Tories, that's how Plaid lost their position in Clenethley. I mean, we know, as Liberal Democrats, how toxic it is because the UK coalition basically stuffed us in Wales completely. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still struggling to recover from that. In a sense, it, it isn't... Um, it isn't so bad at the Welsh level. I mean, from the, our perspective as Liberal Democrats, we tend to benefit or suffer more from our UK, depending on what our UK ratings are. And I'm not convinced that what actually happens in Wales has huge impact on pe- on parties' votes in Welsh Assembly elections, with the possible exception of Plaid Cymru, who do better in Welsh Assembly elections than they do in UK elections. Labour tend to, you know, go again. They had a very bad year in 2007 because they were unpopular in government. And we had a bad year in 2011 and again in 2016 because we were 
associated with the Tories. So it just seems to me the UK ratings have a much bigger impact. In 2010, mm. after the general election, when there was mm. a discussion about what should happen, were you initially in favour of a coalition with the Yeah, I, I actually voted in favour, yes, and, and I was in favour because having then been involved in government and seen what is involved, it just seemed to me that logical that if you're in favour of, of, of PR, if you're in favour of coalition government, you have to, you, you can't really duck out of these issues. I mean, Nick Clegg had made the made it clear that he would talk to the largest party, and initially it wasn't too bad. Um, I mean, in a sense, the decision to go into the coalition wasn't the problem; it was how we managed it. And I don't think that the federal party really took the lessons on board from Scotland and Wales as to how to manage that properly. Although Nick Clegg did have a lot of experience in coalitions, and he should have, in a sense, been much stronger early on. So, yeah, I was in favour, and I and I still will will um, defend a lot of the decisions that were taken and a lot of the things we got out of that coalition. Because I think at the end of the day, if we hadn't gone into coalition with the Tories, there would have been another general election in the autumn. The Tories would have walk that election, what we're seeing now with the Tory government would have happened five years earlier. And I think that the Liberal Democrats, with very limited resources, would have lost a lot of seats in that subsequent autumn election when the Tories and Labour would have gone around saying, what's the point of the Liberal Democrats? They had a chance to be in government and they turned it down. And so why vote for them? Vote for us. And I think it would have been a much more polarised election in autumn 2010, which we would have suffered. So I really felt we had very little choice. Nevertheless, you could have had uh, stricter red lines, couldn't you? I mean, the student tuition fee thing was absolutely cataclysmic, wasn't it? Absolutely. And in fact, at the special conference, there was an amendment that went to the motion on tuition fees. But the problem was that the likes of Vince Cable, uh, Nick Clegg, David Laws, they were never convinced by the party's policy on tuition fees. They tried to change it and they were turned down by conference. They didn't make it the red line it should have been. And it's all very well saying, well, it wasn't our top five pledges, which it wasn't. But it was, you know, the, all the MPs had signed this pledge. Um, all the Welsh MPs, they signed the pledge, they voted against it, but they still suffered because of it. And Nick Clegg did that party political broadcast, surrounded by pieces of paper. These are the broken promises of other parties. The Liberal Democrats are different, and it turned out we weren't different at all. And as a result of that, you know, we, we suffered badly. So we could have been much stronger in the red lines. I think Nick Clegg now will acknowledge that he really should have vetoed this, this tuition fee thing. And as it happened, what, what came out of this was very, very close to a graduate tax. You know, graduates are much better off under the present regime than they were the previous regime. They don't, most of them will end up not repaying anything at all. They don't have to pay anything till they end so much money, which is slightly above the minimum, the, the average wage. But, you know, the, the perception was there, and it was very difficult to get over that. And, you know, although people don't always mention tuition fees nowadays, it still felt that we were not to be trusted because of that. I think it wasn't just a question of the tuition fees either, was it? It was also the fact that the Liberal Democrats became associated with austerity politics from the point of view of the kind of people who might be urban voters for the Liberal Democrats as an alternative to Labour in a council election and an assembly election. Those people were seeing it as if as a left-wing alternative to Labour. Once you're in a coalition with a Conservative government endorsing their austerity agenda, then that's the end of the game, isn't it? Well, it certainly certainly hit us in Wales, and it hit us in in Labour-facing areas, absolutely. I mean, 
the irony is, of course, that, that we actually modified a lot of the austerity measures. I mean, you just go and look at what happened after, after the Tories won a majority in 2015. The stuff they brought in in terms of welfare cuts was stuff which Nick Clegg had been vetoing. But, of course, nobody was seeing what was going on behind the scenes with Nick Clegg vetoing welfare cuts, vetoing government cuts in expenditure, insisting that things had to go forward in certain parts. And we were still tarred with that brush, and there was very little we could do with that. But the, the trust issue was the real big one. And, of course, yeah. what happened was, because you'd lost trust, yeah. next time there was a general election in 2015, Liberal Democrats were very largely wiped out. Almost wiped out, absolutely. And the Tories get their overall majority. David Cameron had already made a pledge to have a, a Brexit referendum, probably at a time when even he didn't think there was a possibility of the Tories winning an overall majority. No, the Tories were victims of their own success, and Cameron was, you know. They targeted ruthlessly the Liberal Democrat seats, they won lots of them, and suddenly found themselves, oh my gosh, I've got to brought this Brexit referendum in after all. And I know that George Osborne was completely against the referendum, and a lot of people were counselling Cameron not to have that referendum. But in a sense, it was that referendum that did for me as an Assembly member as well, because come 2016, the Assembly elections, the month before the referendum, people were voting UKIP because they thought they were voting in the referendum. And voting UKIP to get us out of Europe, as a result, we lost lots of seats in the Assembly too. In your area of Swansea, where you've obviously built up a following in your council ward, and across the region you'd obviously got a sufficient following both personally and as a representative of the Liberal Democrats to win an Assembly seat in, what was it, four successive elections? Something like that, yeah. That evaporated because of this Brexit issue, yeah. as you say, with and people the trust voting issue as well, which is still the trust around. issue as yeah. well. Why do you think there were so many people in your area who were prepared to vote for UKIP, who had this belief that being in the European <laughs> Union was very bad? In a sense, I mean, Swansea wasn't so bad. It was, it was Neath, Batalbeth, um, Ogmore, Bridgend. Those valley seats where UKIP and Brexit got quite a lot of support because although people were benefiting usually from that European money, they didn't feel it. They felt they were being neglected. Factories were closing, unemployment was high, social deprivation was high, lots of people feeling very angry, and they wanted to express that anger. You know, Assembly elections, much like local government elections, were, were there um, as a protest vote. The Brexit referendum was there as a protest vote. So a lot of those Labour areas, across the valleys particularly, felt they, they voted for Brexit, they voted for UKIP, thinking they were voting for Brexit, as a protest against the establishment, whether it was Tory or Labour. They knew they weren't going to beat any of their Labour, their Labour AM or their Labour MP, but they felt, well, I'm going to register a protest here. I, I don't want the Tories in government, so I'm going to keep voting Labour at an election, but here's my opportunity now to actually make a point about what I feel about the way we've been treating our community over decades, ever since Thatcherism in the 80s, really, in terms of the unemployment rate, in terms of the, the neglect in our community, ignoring the fact that there's European money which is large, largely went into infrastructure instead of actually generating jobs, which is a big mistake by the Welsh Government at the time, ignoring the fact this European money was coming to them and actually helping their community. I know that other uh, politicians and people involved in politics have said that that particular period mm. was one of the most toxic, or perhaps the most toxic, that they've experienced in their uh, years uh, of involvement. Did you get much personal abuse at the time? 
No, I didn't. It was worse in the sense they just got largely ignored. <laughs> um, you know, people weren't listening to what we were saying. You know, we, we were doing our best to, to make a case in the, for the Liberal Democrats in the Assembly and the, what we'd managed to influence, you know, over successive budgets in the Assembly in terms of introducing the pupil deprivation grant and a whole range of other things we got through the budgets by negotiation. We tried to emphasise that part, but people just weren't listening. You know, it wasn't so much abuse as just being ignored. <laughs> so after 2016, uh, the Liberal Democrats were down to just one yeah. Assembly member, Kirsty Williams. She's brought into the Cabinet by Carwin Jones. After a special conference of the Liberal Democrats, of course. Which, of course, agreed to it. <laughs> yes, uh, there yes. was no similar conference no, no, for no, Labour. No, that's right. um, because I think Carwin Jones made the point, uh, or argued the point, that uh, it wasn't actually a coalition because you were only talking about one... No, there is a coalition agreement. Is there a coalition yes, agreement? Yes, it's on, it's on the web. Does it say coalition? It doesn't say coalition, but there is an agreement which goes past beyond education. Sure. So, which we view as a coalition-type agreement. So there is, a, there is an agreement, yeah. The Conservatives obviously say yeah. that uh, Kirsty is now effectively just a, a patsy for the Labour Party. Well, they would, wouldn't they? Of course they would. But what's your perspective? Well, my perspective is that Kirsty has actually turned round education in Wales. I mean, Leighton Andrews, I think, did a reasonable job. Uh, Hugh Lewis, I think, um, did a, a job which wasn't quite as good. But I think, you know, there were a lot of stuff going on in education, and Kirsty's brought a new focus to it. She's done a lot of stuff which we've had in Liberal Democrat Manifesto. She's brought in grants for rural schools, for example, and support for rural schools, which um, stopping them closing. She's, she's, we've altered the, the student grant, putting in student grants, which again was Liberal Democrat policies. So there's a lot of stuff which was in our manifesto, which Kirsty's brought in, and not just in education as well as it happens. I mean, you know, and housing, we've brought in this, this new um, scheme to help people um, get on the housing ladder where they rent for five years and then they can buy the property and some of their rent goes towards a deposit, um, which we, we put in the manifesto, and lots of other things as well in that manifesto. So I think Kirsty has, has had a good influence on government. She's actually bringing Liberal Democrat thoughts and ideas in there. So I don't view her as being a Labour party. I view her as being an independently-minded Liberal Democrat minister within a what is effectively a, a coalition administration, now that David Ellis Thomas is in there, as well as the deputy minister, because without her and David L, they don't have a majority. So that she has to have, they have to listen to what she says. But do you think that there will be any electoral dividend for the Liberal Democrats? That's another point, isn't it? I mean, I get no. lots of emails, uh, press releases from the Welsh Liberal Democrats who now have a leader who isn't a member of no. the Assembly, who isn't even a councillor. Um, and therefore, the status of the party is much diminished, isn't it, now? Yeah. How do you come back from that? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think there will be an electoral dividend because our experience is that whatever you do in Welsh government you, you, doesn't have that much impact in terms of the, of the electoral assembly elections. I think the, what it does give us is, is a, a case to argue, both in terms of the debates in, in the next assembly election in our leaflets, this is what the Liberal Democrats have done, this is what we want to do, and in that sense gives our arguments and our policies some credibility. I think you're right in terms of the, the current Welsh Liberal Democrat leadership. I mean, Kirsty couldn't really do the job and be a minister at the same time, not in the situation she was in. We had to choose a leader who was um, not a AM and, and not a councillor either. And I think we've suffered because of that. I think that um, Jane Dodds hasn't had the impact which, which um, we hoped she would have. Um, simply because she hasn't got that um, that support and that, and that um, position, which gives her the which make the press think, well, somebody's speaking here. And I made this point as well in terms of Vince Cable's um, suggestions. Now, Vince Cable, a non-parliamentary 
women can be a leader. And I said, well, actually, look what's happened in Wales. Because the moment you elect a non-parliamentarian as a leader, people are going to ignore you. You know, you have to have someone who has got some position which the press actually take notice of. It's not Jane Dodd's fault, but she's in that position and, and we're, we're really struggling to make ourselves heard in Wales. So, I mean, you remain a Liberal Democrat councillor. You've recently said that you won't be seeking nomination for standing in the 2021 uh, Assembly election. Is that because you d- didn't think you'd get elected? No, I mean, I've I, been 17 years as, as an AM. It was a, a roller coaster ride. I enjoyed every minute of it. It was also very stressful. You know, you're doing seven days a week, 70 hours a week work. You, you, know, you don't have much of a family life. You're rushing around all the time. The elections themselves are very, very stressful, you know, particularly raising the money to pay for them. I mean, I, I raised £50,000 to pay for my last election money which basically went down the drain. But, you know, I raised all that money and it took me months to recover from that. I made this decision the day after the last election. I'm not standing again. I went to my thank you party. I told them I'm not standing again. I don't think they believed me. But, you know, I've, I've always taken this position consistently since the election that I've done my stint. I'll be 61 at the next election. But there's a lot of talented younger people coming up who can do this job. So let's give them a chance. So that was my decision. I think that we can get another Liberal Democrat elected in my region next time. There's still a few years to go. We still have to pull ourselves up a bit in the polls. But I think it can be done. I think UKIP are a busted flush. But I think that we can do that. I'm just going to spend my time concentrating on being a councillor um, and helping the next person to get elected as an assembly member for South Wales West. Both in Wales and Britain, what will have to happen for the Liberal Democrats to become a strong force again? Oh, it's a difficult one. I mean, I've been a Liberal, I joined the Liberal Democrats at the heights of the Thorpe affair, so I'm, I'm used to the party being <laughs> struggling. Um, you know, we, we, we've been there before. We were there in the 70s we, um, when the National Front was beating us in by elections. We were there after the alliance, after the alliance collapsed in, in the 80s. Of course, we're there now since the, um, the collapse of the, the party after the coalition. Um, it, it's, a, it's just a hard slog. You know, we, we've got to pull ourselves up slowly. There's no quick, quick fixes to this. I mean, there are people in Vince Cable's team who think if you get the message right, if we can, we can jump on this particular bandwagon, we're going to be sweeping up in the polls again. For those of us who've been around a long time, it's about slogging away on doorsteps. It's about pulling yourselves up and waiting for your opportunity. And I think that's, that's what we have to do as a party. We just have to hang in there, keep putting our message across, start developing policies. And it's always been the case that Liberal Liberal and Liberal Democrat policies have been adopted by the bigger parties and you know I mean after all Lloyd George was the first one to put forward devolution for example a lot of the things so just keep putting the policies together and just hope that that people start to to take us seriously and start listening to us again and start seeing us as an alternative it's 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 not it's not a quick quick fix at all I'm afraid and what do you judge is the state of politics both in Wales and at a UK level I think politics is broken. <laughs> I really do. Um, people, uh, well, ever since the MPs' expenses scandal, certainly, but right back to when they started televising and, and broadcasting Parliament and people started seeing what actually went on behind the scenes in, in, in Parliament, I think people have become much more cynical about politicians. Um, the two main parties have been in decline in terms of share of vote right up to the last election when they recovered their position a bit. Uh, people are looking around for new um, things and new political saviours, if you like. 
I don't think um, there's enough confidence in either the Tories or Labour to trust him with the majority government at the moment. I think there are uh, extremists um, who are seeking to jump onto bandwagons. There's um, outside influence, Russian money and and um, and American money coming in, you know, to to promote agendas in in the UK. I just feel that, that the whole politics is in turmoil, and I think it's going to take. Um, quite a bit to actually put it back on an even keel and certainly Brexit has not helped there because we're two and a half years on from basically promises which could never be delivered on and a government that's trying to deliver those promises and and failing miserably and looking incompetent in the process but still ahead in the polls Um, and people begin to think well you know the politicians can't deliver on what we want how what we're going to do so I just think it's, it's, it's really broken at the moment. There were those optimists in your party who thought that because the other parties were pretty hapless uh, that the Liberal Democrats would be able to bounce back, but that hasn't happened. Well, again, quick fix brigade. To an extent, a huge number of members have joined the party since both Nick Clegg's resignation and since the referendum. Possibly, I don't know, 60-70% of the party are new members since that date. Um, Some of them come back, of course. The party is a strongly pro-Europe, even more pro-Europe than the 1975 referendum very strongly pro-European, very strongly focused on, on getting a people's vote to try to give the people the chance to rethink what the decision they made back in, in June 2016. You know, At the end of the day, we're not garnishing electoral support from that because, again, people feel that maybe we, we can't change things on our own. They feel, well, you know, until the Liberal Democrats demonstrate that they actually are going to be able to influence these things as a party, well, maybe we're not going to give them the votes. It's still up in the air about that. That's chicken and egg, really, as well, It is it? chicken and egg, yeah. And that's why I say the Liberal Democrats coming back is a long slog. You know, it's it about re-establishing ourselves in communities. It's about making sure that people understand what we stand for. It's about demonstrating as individual politicians that we can make a difference. And, and, it, and it's about um, delivering on, on all that and uh, new policies. Peter Black, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week. Mm-hmm.